This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and joining us, as always, is Peter Sagel. Hey, guys, I just want you to know, I I have no talent for this. There's no way I'm going to be able to say anything interesting about this movie. So, gosh, if I do, I'll just be lucky. (laughs) I see what you're doing there. (laughs) The old podcast hustle. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're recapping the 1992 film White Men Can't Jump. It takes place in Southern California, and it's about Billy, a white guy hustler who pretends to be bad at basketball, played by Woody Harrelson, and he ends up teaming up with another hustler basketball player, Sydney, played by Wesley Snipes, and essentially they talk a lot of shit and like hustle off into the sunset. That's that's very good. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to check something. On last week's episode, uh, where we talked about Independence Day, uh, Greta swore more than I've ever heard her swear. <laughs> Is that true? In real life, let alone on the podcast. And I-, and I had always understood that, you know, we were all trying to be very polite in public radio. But if we're allowed to swear... Let's fucking swear. I mean, is that the rule now? <laughs> this is definitely our first R-rated movie that we've recapped. There's a lot of fuckings oh, in yeah. this movie. There's fucks and fucking. There's all kinds of, yeah. <laughs> Let copulation thrive, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. My mother is listening, so I'm going to uphold my own personal values, but you yeah. all decide how NPR is going to feel about what you do separately. Okay. <laughs> Trisha's got a Marsha clause, but yeah, man, I'm down to curse. Apparently. I'm, yeah, like, Jeez. whatever. I mean, really, it occurred to me that it took Independence Day to finally break you. <laughs> no, I definitely swore about Game of Thrones. I think Probably. maybe with his dark materials, I tried to tone it down because I was thinking of Marcel, you know, yeah. our, yeah. our yeah. child viewer like his dark materials is a kid's show so i feel like i definitely you know like maybe i won't curse in the toy story episode but like (laughs) definitely for the white men can't jump episode i feel like fucking slinky oh because i was planning to go fucking insane during the toy story episode okay all right just (laughs) just losing your shit yeah all right we've established that move on here we go sorry (laughs) marcia sorry marcia love you Um, I think we should start with the same question we've been asking each day, which is when y'all first saw this movie. Trisha, did you see it for the first time yesterday? Yep, last night for the first time. I saw it yesterday afternoon for the first time. Peter, did you see this in the theater with a bunch of playwriting friends? I did not see this one in the theater with a bunch of playwriting friends. In fact, I don't think I saw it in the theater. There was a period in the 90s where I was doing what a lot of people were doing, which for reasons that now escape me, not going out to seeing movies in the theaters, but waiting the four to six months it took, and then they'd come out in video, and as soon as they showed up in the blockbuster or whatever, the local variant thereof, we'd say, oh, great, and we'd see it. So I was like, I remember even consciously saying, I'm living like in a, a, a tape delay of culture for about six months, which was annoying <laughs> when talking to my various friends. So as I remember, I saw it on video, but not long after it came out in theaters. And w- also now I'm just sort of like, wouldn't it be nice to go to a movie theater yeah. and watch no, anything? Yeah. This is back when we thought it was a privilege not to have to go and see other people. But ha ha ha. <laughs> I will say, though, that I had not I've only seen it once. I had only seen it once. Remember really liking it and hadn't seen it in the, what, 30 years since then. Hmm. So I was vaguely worried, as one always is, that my memories would not hold up. But they did. I loved so, it yeah, again. So, yeah, you, you thought Spoiler. it still held up? 
oh, I thought it was great. I remember admiring it for the same reasons that I admired it this week for the various qualities that I really, really enjoyed. Well, so Trisha, having seen it for the first time ever, what did you think? Um, as somebody who likes sports balls generally, probably more yeah. than you, Greta. <laughs> definitely more and, than and definitely likes, more than me. Likes a sort of um, big music swells inspirational sports movie. This is mm-hmm. not that in a fun no, way. No, this like, is not a Friday Night Lights. Yeah, or a, <laughs> or a The Natural or a Bull Durham by the same writer director. Or you mm-hmm. know, like there's there's movies that are just sort of more epic in their love for sports, maybe on paper. But this one is actually, I think, a really beautiful love letter to a sport. It kind of treats basketball almost like dance in the way it's filmed in a lot Mm -hmm. of it, which I thought was kind of beautiful and interesting. And like watching these two guys just smack talk each other is pretty fun. The shit talk is amazing. It is exquisite. And Rosie Perez really wins the movie. So yeah, yeah, I. I think this is going to be a very, a very pleasant podcast because I agree with almost everything you said, but uh, but I look forward to expanding upon your theme. Okay, so to set up a couple quick plot points, Woody Harrelson hustles Wesley Snipes on the basketball court, and then they team up to hustle other people, and then Wesley hustles Woody, and then they join forces to win a tournament. I mean, I think, I think partly what makes this movie so interesting is, you know, in the end, it's more about the relationship between Billy and Sydney, these two basketball player hustler guys, than it is about uh, either of their like romantic partners. I think. I I see. I'm. This is where I begin to disagree, and and that's kind of why I admire the movie because uh, I think maybe we should situate it. So Ron Shelton made this movie Bull Durham, which was a huge movie in the late eighties. Uh, amazingly successful. It became like iconic with its various speeches and moments and people loved it and talked about is it. Is it a baseball movie? That is in fact a baseball movie. Greta, okay. have you not seen it? I do it? know that about it. It is my second favorite movie of all time. Really? What's your first yeah. favorite movie of all time, Tricia? Hook. Yeah, of course. Which we are for some reason <laughs> not recapping. Wait a minute. Even though it happened in the nineties. <laughs> seems strange. And I'm a little bitter about it and I'm gonna have a groundswell so campaign, this is your campaign that requires <laughs> As to recap this movie. As we know, Trisha, we, we should do that because I actually loathe Hook. So that would be actually lots of fun. But So Bull Durham was this movie. And one of the reasons that everybody loved it is because it had what at least one critic I remember reading about called felt reality. Uh, after seeing baseball movies like The Natural, you know, in which, sure. in which baseball was this wonderful, stirring American thing. This is a movie about like baseball that was as actually lived by minor league players where it was kind of grotty and dumb and cheap and there wasn't a lot of glory and one of the things that people talked about was the reason it was had that quality is because ron shelton the movie maker the writer director had in fact played minor league ball for many years he was an athlete himself Hmm. people said oh this is what you get when you get an actual athlete to make a movie and this was his follow-up to that so he had made this movie, uh, which is almost entirely about white characters, uh, Kevin Costner, Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon. And now he's making a movie about black street ball in L.A. And uh, apparently, I found out just recently, this movie was even more successful than Bull Durham. It was his most hmm. uh, financially successful movie. So it, 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 I think when people went to see this movie or waited six months and saw it in video, they were like, OK, what's he going to do now? What's his next sports movie? And uh, it's an interesting choice he made. Uh, to do instead of like another professional sport, which he did later in a movie like Tin Cup, which is about the professional golf circuit. I have seen that movie uh, for some reason. He decided to make a movie about like it's not amateur athletes, but even like guys who are like completely outside organized sports and and not even 
in a life stage where maybe they're going to be professional right. athletes. No. Yeah. It's not like about high school or college players who are still dreaming of the mm-hmm. big time. Right. These are guys with jobs that suck or who and they go jobs. play basketball. Or they can't even get jobs <laughs> yeah. that suck. And, yeah. and, that's, yeah. and that, I think, is, is the one way it has a, a lot in common with Bull Durham, which is, and this is my thesis of the movie, is the big difference between Ron Shelton's sports movies you already referenced it, Greta, and and other sports movies, is that his sports heroes fail at sports. <laughs> it doesn't have... I mean, every sports movie you've ever seen, you, you know, Friday Night Lights or uh, Breaking Away. Or, I mean, they all have... Mighty Ducks. Right. They all have <laughs> the big game slash tournament slash match at the end. And everything comes down to that. And they win... Right, the big tournament. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Redford hits the home run and it smashes the lights but at the end of the natural. But you still don't know till the very end that they're gonna win. Right. right. There's always and, that. And like... what's amazing about Ron Shelton's movies, and this is true of, uh, I guess I've seen four of them, including the one about Ty Cobb, is the heroes lose. There's a weird exception in this movie, like Bull Durham, uh, Crash Davis, the character played by uh, Kevin Costner, doesn't go to the majors. Uh, yeah. In Tin he Cup, he was there for 21 days, yep. and he keeps trying to get back. Exactly, but and his career ends in what is, by movie standards, failure. In Tin Cup, the same actor, Kevin Costner, he fails. He does not win the best tournament, the big tournament, after spending the entire movie getting into it. And in this movie, yes, they win. I mean, there's almost like a, an in joke about the big tournament that is sponsored by the American <laughs> Corporate Council, which yeah, is hilarious. Yeah, I did love that. And it's almost as if I feel like that just means that like Ron Shelton couldn't get any company to be in the movie. It's entirely possible. It it's also possible though. he was just making fun of generic business company. Either yeah, generic either business or. brought yeah. to you by business, American business, <laughs> capitalism, American business. We sell things. You should and, buy and, them. And this, there's a slight twist in that. It's a spoiler alert: they win the tournament, but it doesn't solve their problems. Right. And, yeah. and that's why, this is my whole thesis, this is why I think his movies about sports are so great, because he loves sports. He played sports. And the most beautiful thing in this particular movie is the scenes of them playing. They're gorgeous. Yeah. But he also... He films it like a choreographer would film right. dance. He and, really does. And they're just beautiful. I mean, I can't think of a... I'm not a basketball fan, but this movie makes me love basketball. But the thing that Ron Shelton knows is as much as he and his characters love sports... The sports don't won't solve any of their problems. In fact, it, with the Woody Harrelson character Billy, right. sports is yeah. his problem. He needs to stop. Well, betting. Yeah. Well, yeah. gambling. Yeah. Well, on but, sports. <laughs> but it's all tied together, and that's why yeah. I. Yeah. That's why his movies are so great because they're sports movies that understand that sports don't actually solve your problems. That winning the big tournament isn't going to change your life. The stakes are more it, realistic. As Rosie Perez says, sometimes when you win, you lose. Yeah. Sometimes when you lose, you win. Yep. And and that's why the movies are so great. I mean, one of the great things about this movie, we talked, we were joking about like, you know, Clueless was a woman's movie and then we were going to see Independence Day, which is a guy's movie. This is a much better and smarter and wiser movie about men, obviously, than Independence Day. In that, yeah, they come off looking pretty rough. Yeah, if that's what these you mean. guys, these guys are fools. These guys keep sacrificing yeah. their own prospects. In Billy's case, his the only good thing he has in his life, which is his relationship with uh, with Gloria Rosie Perez, and these guys throw it all away for sports. But Peter, so so when you you said you disagreed with me when I said that 
in terms of the like the trajectory of relationships in the, this movie, the relationship between the two dudes is more important than the dudes and their partners. Right. Well, what I meant to say is, yeah, he thinks that. There's that heartbreaking scene at the end where he's he's finally made it work with Gloria. Gloria is happy with him. Gloria has gotten what she's wanted. He helped her get it. They're happy. They've got their money. They've solved all their problems. And up walks Sydney. They haven't Wesley solved Snipes. their problems because he's well, still the same guy he always is, which is why. Which is what we find out when Sydney walks up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so yes, I agree with you that from Billy's perspective, yeah, his his whole thing going on with Sydney, his hustles is more important to Gloria. But the movie knows that he's wrong. Yeah, hmm. And the thing that I, one of the things, I remember two hmm. things very vividly from seeing it 30 years ago. One is that very sad shot of Woody uh, Harrelson walking back up the stairs to the train after he just got yeah. hustled, but doesn't know he got hustled, by the way. It's Gloria who figures that out. Mm-hmm. And that's particularly, that's particularly um, resonant because if you lived in L.A., which I did at that time, you know anybody who's stuck using public transportation has got problems already. And the second image that I remember really vividly and and, stri- and really I found it very moving and sad again was the image of Rosie Perez skating away. The last thing oh, you've see, seen of her. Oh, see, I think that's the best. Like, she's skating off into the sunset. Like, she's she's better off without this dude. Yes, which you she know? finally rig- figured out. Everybody knows that she's better off without him. Everybody knows that he just blew it again except for him. And and that's it's not so much a disagreement but mm. but that there's a critique of him for doing what you said, i.e. thinking his relationship with Sydney and the scams they've got going are more important. He's wrong. The movie knows it. Even Sydney knows Gloria it. Gloria knows. Yes. She's leaving. And Billy doesn't know she's really leaving. Yeah, he has yeah. no idea because winning at sports has not solved his problem. But I don't know. Even then, I just feel like there's so much about the dynamics around whether or not, like the extent to which those like two hustlers can ever really trust each other. Yeah. And the fact that I they do, I think if you treat it as like two loser dudes, ha- like forming a very strong, beautiful bond and maybe fucking up the rest of their lives, like that to me actually makes more sense than than Billy failing to recognize the importance of his relationship with Gore. It's like he never was going to, because that's who he is, you know? Right. Well, and it's Billy and Sydney finding a pal who actually wants them to be who they right. are right. and doesn't actually want them to change or expect yeah. them to change, whereas the women in their lives <laughs> are just like this symbol of constantly trying to f- nag improvement out of yeah. them. As opposed to accepting them for anything about how they actually are or the lives that they have. There's a long-standing trope in buddy movies that the the women, even even if they're attractive, even if they're great characters, they're always kind of a third wheel. And the real love, the real important relationship is between the two men. Take Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is a great buddy movie. And there's Karen Ross, who's kind of in a weird triangle with the two guys. But she's gone. They get more or less rid of her because you know what? What's really important is Butch and Sundance. And this movie kind of takes that trope and presents it to you, but at the same time says, they're so wrong about that. <laughs> but they've always been wrong, dude. <laughs> they've always been wrong, but but none, they've always been wrong. But let me put it this way. Butch Cassidy celebrated the fact 
and it's a great movie, but it celebrated the fact that these two men loved each other more than they did, would any woman. No woman could come between them. I mean, to use to use a problematic phrase, but one that we'll all be familiar with, bros before hoes. Yes, exactly. Is the theme of many, 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 many movies about male relationships. Exactly. And that's kind of what this movie is. Yeah, it this is, movie totally except, is. And, I, and, I, and, and I will continue to argue this, is that the movie knows that's stupid. The movie knows that a guy who says bros before hoes will end up with nothing. At the end of the movie, and think of a sports movie that plays out this way. At the end of the movie, the hero of the movie, who's Billy, has lost everything. Yeah, he's lost his relationship with Glory. He's other. lost his money. Well, they have each other. but And the, they're I, like I, still I, talking shit and having a good time. You know, the, like, he, he Even at the end is like, I got to get a job. Even the thing that made him the, the great pleasure of his life, hustling basketball, that's over. Mm-hmm. There's that moment, one of the last things that Sidney says is one of the final scenes before the hilariously parodic mobsters show up <laughs> is... Yeah, those guys. Is they're talking in the hotel room when when Billy has le- has figured out that Glory is gone for good. This is no more of this, oh, I'll go and I'll sing a song and it'll be great. He's gone. And he says, four words, says Sidney, listen to the woman. Says, well, do I do what she says? No, just start listening and that'll help. And what was great about that is that it wasn't, hey, be nice to the woman, give her flowers, and then she'll have sex with you, which is generally how men talk about women in movies. If you want to make her happy so you get what you want from her, do these, take these steps, follow this checklist. He's saying, no, you actually have to listen to what they're saying because what they're saying has value. What? 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 Wait a minute. No, he's not. I think Because this movie has this... I'm amazed we made it this long without hearing one. So thank you, Jess. Trisha, I feel like you and I should take some responsibility for having just let Peter talk for seven straight minutes. <laughs> yes. I felt it happening, but I wasn't disagreeing with anything uh, he was saying. I did finish a Monday crossword in that time, so that felt good. <laughs> this movie has established that the difference between listening and hearing is very important. Right. Mm-hmm. And this, the thing you're talking about, that scene at the end, is in some ways a ref, uh, a refrain of the idea about can can Billy as a white guy actually hear and understand Jimi, Jimi Hendrix? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Sydney says you don't hear Jimmy, you just listen. Right. And so he's not saying hear your woman. And in fact, he says, do I have to like hear her, agree with her? And he goes, no, you just have to listen. Well. And the yeah. movie has established that the difference between listening and hearing is one is pretending to pay attention, the other is actually understanding what information is coming. Well, in. and I think the other like illustrative aspect of that too is the number of times that Billy tells Gloria to shut up, <laughs> and the number of times Billy tells Gloria she's crazy, right? Which are two like deeply problematic ways to treat a partner, right? You know, but the movie again knows it. The movie, remember, the movie ends with Gloria leaving Billy forever and it seems as if Ron Shelton agrees with that choice that like yeah, yeah, yeah. she should go because this guy is no good despite yeah. his charm and she's got problems but she's ambitious and she's smart and she's on a streak on Jeopardy now yeah with the real Alex Trebek playing himself yes. in the movie I loved that <laughs> by the way I, I have some, I, my only problems with this movie which as I said I loved even more than I saw it the first time is there's some Jeopardy problems there's some credulity problems <laughs> with Jeopardy which I can go into later if you want foods that start with Q let's listen to a voicemail I think we should listen to Margaret speaking of Jeopardy when I think about white men can't jump I forget all about the white man who couldn't jump because that movie is 
all about the feisty Latina who taught herself to win on Jeopardy to secure her family's fortunes so that her boyfriend could play basketball. <laughs> Gloria was the hero of that movie. Gloria is without question the most admirable character. Gloria is without question the person whose victory... I mean, in a weird way, everything I said about like the big tournament at the end and how it doesn't apply to this movie, it really does right, apply to say, Gloria. There, there's, it's <laughs> yeah. the Jeopardy game, actually. Exactly. She life. goes in there and she kicks ass on Jeopardy and it is for her the same kind of validation and victory and achievement that like winning the big game is for the athletes in every other sports movie. And mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. quite intentional. Yeah. Let's listen to, I think, one of the most... One of the earlier really compelling things that Gloria says, which is about being thirsty. Do y'all remember that conversation? Oh, yeah, that is a, a oh, great yeah. and hilarious scene. Let's listen to some of that. If I have a problem, you're not supposed to solve it. Men always make the mistake of thinking they can solve a woman's problem. Makes them feel omnipotent. Omnipotent? Did you have a bad dream? It's a way of controlling a woman. <laughs> Bringing them a glass of water? Yes. I read it in a magazine. See, if I'm thirsty, I don't want you to bring me a glass of water. I want you to sympathize. I want you to say, Gloria, I too know what it feels like to be thirsty. I too have had a dry mouth. I want you to connect with me through sharing and understanding the concept of dry mouthedness. This is all in the same magazine? The concept of dry mouthedness. <laughs> the concept of dry mouthedness. Maybe you guys don't know this, so but that back then there were all these books coming out. The most famous one of which was like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. There was another one called sure. You Do Which they're reading in Clueless. Right. There's another <laughs> one called uh, You Just Don't Understand, Men and Women in Conversation. And that fact that like men always try to fix women when women just want sympathy was like one of the things that we were all told, especially men were told this, guys, don't try to fix them. And I, this was clearly a reference to that. And I thought a pretty funny parody of the whole thinking. It's the only moment in the movie where Gloria looks a little silly. Do you guys agree? I mean, I think she does at some other moments too, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that uh, that I was rolling my eyes really hard at while we were listening to the clip and doing the movie too. I mean, I think it makes sense in the movie. But um, for the record, I agree with Billy. If I say I'm thirsty, I would like some water. <laughs> exactly, which is why it's sort of a parody and why Gloria looks a little silly. <laughs> but I do understand her metaphor for dry mouthedness as it, a metaphor. It's a metaphor. I will allow it. So world. But if I'm thirsty, I want some water. World, be aware of Trisha Babita <laughs> mentions that she's thirsty. <laughs> Just I would like some water, please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she would like you to step in and make things better. <laughs> Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Katrina and Nick. Hi, Nerdette. It's Katrina. And Nick. From Chicago. I'll go first. Why is this movie so long? And why is there so much basketball <laughs> in it? Why? 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 I enjoyed the basketball in it. It was fun. I think Katrina would have liked it more if there was a mascot. Definitely. Mascots are way more interesting than basketball. Also, the best scene in the entire movie is when Gloria and Rhonda are like, I absolutely will not give you the money back. Also, would you like some sugar in your coffee? It's the politest, meanest scene, and it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. 
that I thought the is... best part was when we learned that white men can, in fact, jump. Why is there so much basketball? <laughs> this, this That voicemail could have been a scene in the movie between Gloria and Billy, which oh is great. <laughs> that was really, really good. More on White Men Can't Jump in just a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I did also think there was a lot of basketball. To be well, honest. you're not the sports ball person, as Trisha said. So you thought too much basketball? Yeah. I mean, you know, I thought like if you were worried about finishing this movie in a set amount of time, you could fast forward through the basketball and you wouldn't miss anything. <laughs> you know, but I will say this movie is I believe it's one hour and 59 minutes. So it does fall under my two hours or less theory. That's just, important. Just putting that I, out That's there. interesting to me that, the, mm-hmm. that this caller thought the movie was so long or too long. Did you guys think that? Because it's weird, because to me, it, it, I noticed that it's not spending so much time on basketball per se, i.e. playing the game, dribbling, shooting, passing, but trash talking. Yeah, the There's trash so talk much. I mean, like the whole it's opening really scene yeah. on Venice Beach is 15 minutes of men shit talking each yeah. other. And the your oh. mom jokes. My, my favorite yep. in the opening is... Your mom is an astronaut. He says he's been saying it to other people. Sydney's been saying it to other people, and then Sydney says it to Billy. And Billy's response to your mom is an astronaut is, "My mom's too drunk to be an astronaut." Yes. <laughs> yeah, which is an amazing line. I think the reason why it could have felt long is because, as you kind of mentioned, Peter, like your typical sports movie, the tournament would have been the last thing to happen, right? They're right. like, like that's when they're going to make the big money. That's what they're working towards is they want to get into this tournament and they want to win. So then the fact that that comes like pretty much just after halfway through, then you're like, wait, halftime. What's Greta, we the call rest that half-time. of this? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it shouldn't be halftime. That should be the end of the third quarter, right? Right. So then you're like, over. wait, what? Then what do we do with that? You know? And I think that's why it might feel long is just because you're like, wait, isn't this supposed to be like the peak of the arc of the story? It's like when you're watching fireworks <laughs> and you see like a really big to do uh-huh. and you're like, oh, that was the grand finale. And then like they kind of keep going and you're like, OK, that that was the grand finale of no. All right. right. There's more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, it can feel long. You know, yeah. especially if you're not a fireworks fan. <laughs> and And not only that, but. The name of the movie is White Men Can't Jump. There's a huge plot line about whether or not Woody Harrelson can dunk. And we all expect that in the end of the movie, he's going to dunk. And he does it. But he doesn't do it in the big tournament we've been talking about, the corporate tournament that wins him the money. Right. He, they he does win it that against tournament. the like, neighborhood legends. Right. King and he and does dunk. it against the neighborhood legends at the very end of the movie when all is already lost. It's after the scene that Gloria has left him on the Venice boardwalk, or actually it's Santa Monica, I think, but that point. That's interesting, Peter, because you're right. In that moment, though, Billy does think that this is the thing that's going to win him Gloria's praises, but we all as the audience and Gloria right. know, nah, she gone. We know she's gone. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing, nothing ambiguous about that scene where she kisses him and says, I love you, and turns and skates down the walk, and we <laughs> know it. we and he will never see her again. And then he dunks the basketball. Yeah. Then he finally does that thing that he wanted to do that drove him crazy that he couldn't do, that he lost all his money because he couldn't do two Wesley Snipes. 
And we know, and this is maybe the summarizes the movie, is that he has this amazing athletic triumph. And it's pointless, and it's too late, and it doesn't save him anything. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And otherwise, pointless. And that's what, that's why I like the movie. Yeah. Which is what I think in the, um, with these 90s movies, I've been going back and reading Roger Ebert's reviews because it's kind of fun to mm-hmm. see what he said about the movies oh, at the moment. And, uh, and he, he, you know, he says something pretty similar. He's like, this is not a basketball movie. This is a movie about people that has a lot of basketball in it. To, to mm-hmm. Katrina's point, mm-hmm. so much basketball. <laughs> so much basketball. Um, and to the question of whether it drags, I think the thing that drags for me having watched it was actually that tournament like the montage of the the smack talk and the playing in that particular tournament because i could tell by the the point in the movie it was like the fact that it was in the middle not the last 20 minutes or whatever that it's not the yeah that it's not the the end and so it's like we're just watching them play a lot of basketball in this tournament and just be such toxic dudes to each other like all the cursing and the shoving and it's like all right I'm not really yeah. in the mood for 15 more minutes of just watching braggadocious, like, 35-year-old men act like 16-year-olds. <laughs> Let's listen. We have a clip from there, actually, of Sydney yelling at Billy when he's being an asshole there. When he's in the zone? What the fuck is up with you? <laughs> yes. What are you worried about? I'm in the zone, man. Look, I'm in the fucking zone. They're pissed off. I'm in the zone. Billy, this is not about black and white. This is about money. This is about green. You got that? Look, man, I need this five grand. And I am not about to let you blow this for me. No fucking way. You pissed off? No, no. No, no, I ain't pissed off. No, you Billy, pissed I'm off at me? I'm not pissed at you. See, that's what you want me to do so you can get me in this fucking zone you're talking about. But it ain't gonna happen because you ain't good enough. Oh, is that another brother thing, huh? No, but you see, fucking racist. No, there's certain things you can do and there's certain things you can't. I can hear Jimmy. No, no, no I can no. hear Jimmy. Oh, no. Yes, I can. You can't hear Jimmy. Fuck you. No, you can't yeah, hear Jimmy. Fuck you. Good, fuck me. Yeah, fuck good, you. Good, good. Fuck me. Fuck now you, say what feeling. Fuck you! Yes, yes! Fuck me! Fuck me! Fuck me! Man, did anybody count all the fucks just in there? (laughs) There was was a a plethora, a plethora of fucks. A plethora of fucks. (laughs) I I couldn't, and and Trish is right. I mean, when you're watching the scene, you know, first of all, that it's too early in the movie to be the climax. And also, there's something weird about their dynamic because they're, they're still... I mean, again, in a typical sports movie, this is when you'd expect the two heroes to put aside their differences, work together, and win the tournament. Which they do. And, which they do. They win the tournament, but not by putting aside their differences. They, they, they have this, we just heard a huge part of it, this incredibly intense conflict while they're winning the tournament. And it was hard for me to figure out how it was tracking, what what Billy was up to, what Sydney was up to. Why is Billy being so incredibly provocative to everybody not just the other players who they have to beat. Because we, we've seen him play his mind games. He did it to, mm-hmm. to, to Sydney in the first scene. And we understand that he's trying to do sort of the same thing to the two guys they need to beat to get them angry, to get them upset, to get them out of their heads so that they make mistakes. But why is he doing it to Sydney? Why mm-hmm. is he screaming yeah. at Sydney? I don't know. And I, I'm not quite sure. And, and I don't know what that means in terms of the movie arc. And I don't know what that means in terms of Billy's character. Do you guys have any idea? I feel like it, it could... It reads a couple different ways to me. One is that him shouting he's in the zone and he's in control is the ultimate expression of being out of control. Right. Right? And that um that he really has kind of kind of snapped in a way in in that moment. Um he's still playing good basketball, so you would argue that since sports are truly a mental game, if his game is not being affected, then maybe he is in control. Um but I, I also think it's just kind of a, a 
it makes them look like they're out of control, so it makes it look like they'll be easier to beat. Like, how many mm-hmm. layers of deception are going on was my question, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's just an opportunity for them to shout some kind of interesting stuff about race at each other, um, yeah. <laughs> which happens a few times in the movie. There's a conversation early on in the car with Gloria, um, mm-hmm. too, where, where they're talking about um, these different things. But, yeah, it's almost like in the way that... Um, often a typical American male is only allowed to express emotion through sports, right? Yes. Like they can cry yeah, we or call those sports feelings in my household. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But like, it's okay to, to scream and shout at the TV or, you know, when your favorite sports team is winning or losing. Um, and the, that level of, of raw emotion is something that we associate with like sports being the outlet for. Right. And so it's almost like, right. are they just like, is the is the tension of this moment mean that they have just let all that loose or are they in control is a question I, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to think about how that moment is playing out. It's also weird. This is a movie in which there's one main white character and a whole bunch of main black characters. It's about race. It's called White Men Can't Jump. And it's a movie in which you, on the one hand, say, oh, this white guy is really comfortable with black people, which is great, right? There's there's a real friendship, a real friendship with pluses and minuses and tension and negatives and positives between a black guy and a, and a white guy, and you're like that. But at the same time, this is a white guy who is hustling black people, and he's hustling black people successfully. Out of their rent money. Right, in many cases. One guy has to go and like try to rob a place because he's got no money, <laughs> and which was slightly problematic, but at any rate, this is a guy who's who's taking advantage of black people because as he keeps saying... He knows what black people want. White people want to win first and look good second. Black people want to look good and win second. And that's what he uses to beat them. And that's like, I don't know if it's racist. It's certainly kind of hostile. I mean, I think in, a, in, a, in the actual definition of racism, yes, it's racist. <laughs> um, to, to make a claim about a group of people instead of treating them as individuals is in fact a racist statement. Mm-hmm. Right. On the other hand, it, it works, at least at first. You know, he shows up in the very first scene. He kind of he walks into Venice Beach, which, by the way, doesn't look like that anymore. It used to be great. Now it's yet another affluent neighborhood, but that's another story. Um, and he walks in, and, and he just runs this scam on the players. And he even says, he says, you guys think I'm a chump. You look at me. You see how I'm dressed. You think he's a chump. And then he takes their money. And, and you're like, so he's figured this out, and it actually works. And until things go wrong, that's the scam they run against all of the other players. It's like, oh, you can pick anybody you want to play this mm-hmm. game on my partner. Oh, I want the white guy. You know, we can't say the white guy. No, I want the white guy. And that's the whole scam. And I, I kind of love that that is part of the movie, and it works, and it's successful, and he's right. But of course, he gets his comeuppance because whatever insight he has into the black players in the street, he has none into his own brain. And that's what brings him down. Well, and I do wonder, actually, if that's the point of the tournament scene where Billy is losing his shit is just that he is like completely unpredictable and will inevitably self-sabotage one way or the other. Yeah. It's definitely a racist idea that Billy is using to kind of hustle and do this scam but one thing i do think is interesting about this movie compared to a lot of sports movies is that it doesn't i don't think fall into the same white savior trope where often in sports movies a white intellectual with power takes a bunch of uh 
black people with raw athleticism and talent and then shepherds them to victory with their white intellect, whether it's right. a white coach and a black team or things like that. And so right. I think that um, one thing that this movie does is it makes Sydney, the black man, the more intellectual of the two, oh, which yeah. is great to see yeah. in a movie about sports. And that it's not white quarter black, black team, white coach, well, black and, team. And he's not only more intellectual, he's just more responsible. Like he's, yeah, just, he's just like a better an adult. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. He's not the raw athletic talent who's going to be shaped by the white coach into a, a success. Right? Yeah, and it, you know, there's this, there's this two moments at the end which struck me as both kind of sad and encouraging. And the first moment is when Sydney, remember Sydney is put, there's a scene that seems arbitrary where Sydney comes home toward the end of the movie and discovers that they've been robbed and they've mm. lost everything. Mm-hmm. And his wife and the mother of his child is like, I am done. I am done with you. We have got to get out of here and into a better house in a better neighborhood or I am done. And he then, in a moment of distress, goes to Billy and he knows everything that Billy's been through. He helped Billy get back Gloria. He knows exactly where Billy is in his life and what he needs and what he doesn't need right now. And he walks up and he says, hey, Billy, there's this tournament. We can win a lot of money against beating these two big players. Would you come and do this to me? And he stands there and he watches Billy throw away his life in order to go do this. It's it's like, it, it's it's the same as offering a drink to a guy you know is trying yes. to get sober. That's and, a great and, analogy and, for and, that And moment. he does it with, with such coolness and almost sadness in his eyes. Like, I'm sorry, but I need this. And in order to get what I need for my life and my wife and the mother of my children is I've got to go wreck your life. Sorry. Well, and you owe me. I mean, I do think that's a piece of it too, right? Is like right. he did this favor helping get Gloria onto Jeopardy. Right. And the deal was he was going to cash in eventually. And so now right. he's cashing in. Right. And, and, and that... But there's a there's a kind of almost cruelty to that moment that is an interesting thing to add to have at the end of a movie, which is really about this friendship, as complicated as it is. So you do then, think the movie is about their friendship? I, it, it is. Well, yes. White men it, can't jump is about the friends we make along the way. <laughs> it is what I was trying to what I what is I, I think I was trying to argue about earlier is yes, it's about their friendship, but it's a movie that critiques their friendship in just the same way that I was just talking about, and that this is a movie about two people who end up loving each other, but also constantly use each other, and and whose friendship is in fact part of the problem in their lives, as opposed to what we almost always see is the best thing in their lives. Butch and Sundance are dead. But at least they died as friends together. (laughs) Let's listen to a voicemail. Here is Kevin. Hi, Nerda. This is Kevin. First of all, my demon is the weird and feisty duck-billed platypus. And secondly, I've got to give it up to the Venice Beach Boys for opening up this movie with the best version of Closer Walk With Thee that I have ever heard. Mm. For my money, White Men Can't Jump is pretty much a perfect film. It's infinitely rewatchable and joyously quotable. And like a lot of Ron Shelton's films... It's less about the sport being played than the insecurities of the men playing them. On the court, Sydney and Billy can talk trash and feign confidence and control, but the second they step away, in pretty much every scene, we're seeing the veil drop as they struggle with addiction, self-esteem, and self-worth. Pretty impressive stuff for a quote-unquote sports movie. And Peter, your mother is an astronaut. Hey! <laughs> Kevin, I was with you till the end. Listen, we are allowed to make fun of Peter. You know what? Let's listen. I think now would be a great time to listen to when 
Billy busts into the Jeopardy studios after Rosie wins, after Gloria wins, and he's got his guitar because I did think that was a pretty yeah. funny scene. <laughs> Which, as Peter will know as a playwright, when you introduce a guitar in Act One, it has to go <laughs> off in Act Three. I believe, I believe it was Chekhov who said that. Chekhov's guitar? <laughs> exactly. Chekhov, who was actually part of a ska band. People don't know that about Chekhov, but it's true. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I will never bring you water When you're thirsting in our bed You know why Understand dry mouthedness And I sympathize instead And if you take me back again I won't be such a slob Let's grow up I absolutely love the fact that the music transitions from Woody Harrelson and his guitar to the highly professional (laughs) singers doing it as the soundtrack over the next sequence, which was just brilliant and funny. Hey, this is a good time to say that I think Woody Harrelson is actually one of the great underrated actors of our time. He's so good in everything, and he's so effortless in yeah. everything that you kind of forget how good he is. I mean, he did this movie at the same time he was still finishing up Cheers, where he played basically an amusing idiot. And and he in the yeah. years, and then it was like a year or two later he did um, one of my very hated movies, which is uh, the oh I can't remember uh, the terrible movie in which he played a serial killer. Natural born killers. Yeah. Natural born killers. Natural Thank you. I killers. loathe and hate there that movie. Go. I'm so glad we're not doing it. I almost hate it as much as I hate Hook. Um, <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we are going to go outside and settle this Hook thing on the on, court. Hey, there's a goal right there. Pull over this car. Let's see right now. Uh, let's listen. We have a couple more. I love how many voicemails we got just about Gloria. Yep. I think it really speaks to Nerdette's audience, and I love that. Let's listen. Can we just listen to Susie and then Celeste? Hey guys, it's me, Susie. Hi, Nerdette. This is Celeste from Chicago. Uh, I love White Men Can't Jump. It is so 90s. You know, you've got um, Wesley Snipes flipped a bill, all of the high top <laughs> sneakers, uh, Sizzler. I mean, do Sizzlers even exist anymore? It, uh, rollerblading. Rosie Perez, uh, she is definitely the best part of the movie. I just finished watching White Men Can't Jump for the first time, and I think the only reaction I really have is I wish Gloria had left him a lot earlier in the movie and gotten to keep all of the Jeopardy money for herself. (laughs) Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Can I just, one point on that, can we get Gloria another way of storing her money than her big jar? Greta, I know you love a jar. I love putting I money didn't in jars. I know that about Greta. Greta, do you like money putting money in jars? Well, I love jars. She puts almost general. everything else in jars. I put a jars. lot of stuff in jars. Yeah. Why not money? Well, I put I have like some I have a coin jar. I don't put like hard cold cash in jars, but I could start. <laughs> no, I'm saying we should not keep our money in jars. <laughs> yes. Also, I don't I mean, I guess this is a segue into my in the important segment in which I debunk some myths about Jeopardy as presented in this movie because <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've we got, got five, five minutes. Here we go. Because I actually, <laughs> as some a short, bald game show host who appeared on Jeopardy and lost in 1988. So I know these things. <laughs> really? First of all, they don't pay you in cash. Secondly, 
Um, <laughs> you can't just walk onto the lot at, and be on Jeopardy. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's a little that. Yeah. Uh, you have to uh-huh. sign up mm-hmm. for it. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, Yeesh. or fourthly, or whatever I am by now, you Quince. you can't interrupt Alex Trebek there when there's a scene. Quail. What? <laughs> She's just shouting Q foods. Q foods. You can't just do that. They don't let you buzz in so. until Alex has finished reading the question exactly to prevent things like that happening. You know, and, I'm mm-hmm. always wondering about that with Wait Wait, actually. I feel like they should be on the lightning round. Exactly. We should. And then finally, uh, right before Wesley Snipes comes up and ruins everything, or allows... Woody Harrelson to ruin everything for himself. They're talking about, says, all right, I've won this much. When I go back next week, all I need to do is win another time and then four more weeks. She's talking as if the show Mm -hmm. is taped once a week. That's not how it works. They actually tape two or three episodes every day. (laughs) So, and then they broadcast them once per day. So it's, it doesn't work that way. I just thought I need to say this for the Jeopardy fans out there that they completely distorted the details of Jeopardy just to make the movie, but they work got Alex I, Trebek. I forgive which is them. Pretty amazing. They did get Alex mm-hmm. Trebek, who agreed to these uh, distortions of what Jeopardy is really like to be in the movie, and I also, think he was right. How awful are the two like nerdy white guys who she's playing against, who are often like, oh, "Harumph, how is this woman know a thing?" Harumph, <laughs> harumph. Yes. I love the fact that one of them is a genuine rocket scientist. <laughs> He's a rocket scientist from Pasadena. So we have one last voicemail. And it's from a guy named Ron Shelton. What? And Peter, do you want to do you want to explain how this came to be, or should we listen to it first? Uh, well, yeah. Let me actually let me do that. You haven't heard it. I haven't heard it. I don't know what he's going to say. So this is what happened. Uh, I I got an email the other day from a friend of mine who's been in the movie business for a long time. And he said, hey, Peter, I love what you're doing with these recaps of 90s movies. I love that you're doing White Man Can't Jump Next. Do you want to talk to Ron Shelton? And I said, yes. So I heard from Ron Shelton. And I wrote to him and I said, thank you so much. We'd love if you just want to say anything you want about the movie. Literally anything. Anything you want. Anything you want to say. (laughs) I sent him some questions. I said, these are the things I'm interested in. But whatever you want to talk about, talk about. And I... Don't know what he said, so we're all going to hear what he said for the first time together. All right. This is Ron Shelton talking about White Men Can't Jump. Um, because Peter called me and asked me to. So here we go. I wanted to talk about Rosie Perez and the discovery of Rosie Perez. The part of Glory was written for an upper middle class white girl at Smith or Bennington or one of those colleges who falls halfway through college falls for this guy who feels she thinks is the rebel warrior poet (laughs) so i had this image of the white girl of some privilege who's with this the bad boy and i got a call from the casting director saying would you like to meet rosie perez well all we knew about rosie was do the right thing which he's only got about two scenes and that famous title sequence so i said sure So one day, I was supposed to audition her right after lunch. And I looked up, and standing in the office was Rosie Perez. And I was sitting there alone at my desk finishing a sandwich. (laughs) And she said, who the fuck are you? And I said, hi, I'm Ron. I'm the director and the writer and the producer. You must be Rosie. He goes, oh, I fucked up now. And I said, no, no, no. What's the deal? You're about 10 minutes early. Now, my producer was a woman, my company partner was a woman, and the casting director was an African-American woman. So it wasn't like a room of threatening men. And they were all down the hall. 
And I said, can you come back in 10 minutes? And she said, no, I can't do it today. I'm having a bad fucking hair day. And in comes my three women producing partners. They said, Rosie, you're early. This is fine. And I said, no, Rosie's not going to audition today. And they said, why not? I said, because she's having a bad fucking hair day. And they said, no, Rosie, we're professionals here. We, you know. And I said, no, she's going to call in a few days when she's having a good hair day. So Rosie left, and the three women said, Ron, you can't do that. That's, you know, you got to treat everybody. I said, I treat everybody the same, but you, you, come on. She's having a bad hair day. So about four days later, Kelly Davis, my longtime producing partner, says, Ron, Rosie says she's having a good fucking hair day. I said, well, send her in. So she comes in about three hours later, and there is not a straight man in the world that could tell the difference between her bad fucking hair day and her good fucking hair day. That, I guarantee you. And even my three women partners couldn't tell the difference, but Rosie could, and that's what mattered. And she gave this killer audition that was right out of the streets of New York and Brownsville, where she grew up with Mike Tyson. And I thought, oh my God, this is not supposed to be an upper middle class white girl. This is supposed to be Rosie Perez. So all we did, I didn't change one line, but that is how I found Rosie Perez, who turned out to be the consummate professional and absolutely was a handful in the best sense for Woody to handle because he couldn't figure out, I couldn't figure out, and you weren't supposed to figure out. And at the end of the movie, she's the one that is roller skating into a future and probably the only one of our heroes. So that's my Gloria, a.k.a. Rosie Perez story. Thank you very much. Ron, thank, thank you, you for Ron. that fantastic story. That's I love amazing. how many fuckings were in there, too. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've met Rosie Perez some years ago, and I can say that's how she talks. She's also extraordinarily charming. Um, I actually, first of all, Ron, if you're listening, thank you so much yes, for thank indulging you. us. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and I also want to say, uh, now that we've sort of revealed that we were in touch with him, I, I, I asked him something, one of the questions I sent to him. Because there's something about the movie that I hadn't noticed before, noticed this time, but was still bothered by, or at least curious about, is that there's a strong indication that Rosie Perez's character, Gloria, has a drinking problem. One of the first Mm, things you see her do is sneak a a, a shot of vodka in the middle of the day while her boyfriend's in the shower and can't see, which is like absolute classic signal of drinking problem, right? You're hiding your drinking, you're day drinking. Mm Uh, and it comes up again, like there's that moment where uh, where Wesley Snipes' wife says, oh, do you want a drink? And she's like, yeah, and you know what kind of drink she wants. And she ends up with a bottle of vodka she got somehow. Uh, when she's waiting for him, she's like chugging the wine. I'm like, okay, clearly yeah. they're setting up maybe a parallel thing. Woody's got his gambling addiction. She's got a drinking addiction. And that's going to play out in some interesting way. And then it's dropped. That never plays out. Mm-hmm. No one ever references it. She never decides to stop drinking. Nothing. So I asked Ron Shelton, where we were going back and forth, and I said, what about that? Do you seem to set something up that you never pay off? And he's like, wow, no one's ever asked me that before. Well, I guess she only needed to drink while she was with that lousy, no good boyfriend. And once she gets rid of him, she doesn't need to drink anymore. (laughs) Huh. (laughs) Yep. He clearly, and this is also true of other things I looked up, he clearly thinks, as he just said, that Gloria is the most admirable character in the movie. Yeah. And and that Woody is bad for her, Billy is bad for her, and getting away from him is the best thing that she could do. Yeah. I'm still not quite sure it passes the Bechdel test, though, because she does end up talking about Billy when she meets Sidney's wife. Yeah, that's true. Uh, although, weirdly, although you're right, it doesn't pass the Bechdel test, there, there's something, I, 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 for lack of a better word, kind of empowering. 
I, that scene is great because it is. We actually have audio of it. I think if we want. Let, to let, let's to do it because I think this is an important scene for the men and the women in the movie. All right, no bullshit here. Want my money back? Oh, you're not getting the money back. Oh yes, I am because you won't give me my money back. I'm not giving you nothing. Billy and Sydney were teammates. Teammates can't hustle each other. Oh, really? Why not? It's not autistic. Let me tell you something. I don't care about art, okay? All I care about is getting out of the damn Vista View apartment building because there ain't no Vista, there ain't no views, and there sure as hell ain't no Vista of no views. Now, you want cream or sugar or what? Cream. The great Tyra Farrell as Rhonda Dean. Tyra, so she's good. great. I, I don't, I don't recognize her from other movies, but she is very, very good. Excellent. Um, the, the thing I wanted to talk about that scene is so great is, of course, a, it's Gloria who figures out instantly what happened mm-hmm. that he got scammed by his supposed partner mm-hmm. when he couldn't figure it out because he's blind to it. She's the one who says, "We're going to go over there and talk to them," and he's like, "No, you can't do that. No, I'm going to go over and talk to them." She drags him in, and then there's this wonderful parallel scene of Woody confronting or trying to confront the guys, Wesley and his friends. And when he walks in, he sees, of course, uh, Bill, Sydney sitting there with the guy who he scammed him with, the other player. So he knows it's true. And he's trying to confront them. And meanwhile, Gloria's in the other room settling it. And and Woody is utterly helpless. He ends. They all end up like arguing. Yeah, and then the basketball game. The game. Oh wow, look at that! Mm-hmm. They all end up watching basketball together. Yeah. They're totally hopeless. It reads as a scene of like your mother dragging you by the ear over to your friend's house, and then you're sitting and watching basketball in the living room while they sort out the fight you had at exactly. school that day. They're, it really infantilizes the men. Well, they infantilize themselves, which is the whole point. Yeah, They're little yeah. boys who can't do anything, who get distracted by sports, while the women figure it out. Which again, I admire. Yeah. Yeah, that is a fun scene. I mean, in gen- yeah, I thought it was a very entertaining film. I liked that it was less than two hours. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is that where you start? Like, like It must have been even faster for you, Greta, if you fast forward through the sports balling. I did not balling. fast forward through the sports balling. I watched all of the sports balling. I just love like imagining Greta's like you know, checklist for good movie. Item one, is it less than two hours? Yes no, or no? It's and that's it. It's not item one, but I am just very curious now, having seen Independence Day and thinking about it a lot since then, I think I think it's it's not like a checklist, but I think it might be criteria for what makes a great movie. But I don't know, we'll see as we keep going. Next week is Dazed and Confused. How long is that? Has anybody looked? I don't know. It's also the the only movie on our list of movies that I have never seen. So Really? Really? Missed it. Wow. Totally missed it. I have also That's never a movie seen it. I've seen and y'all have not. And it's one hour and forty three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. You remind me of that scene in Time Bandits where all Napoleon can talk about is how tall everybody else is. <laughs> Peter, can we recap Time Bandits? I have no idea what Time Bandits is. I would love is. to recap Time Bandits, one of my very favorite oh my movies gosh. of all time. We're international criminals. So we'll do these movies, Hook, and then, and then Time Bandits. Back in I'm time. just adding to our list. <laughs> we got to do Hook so Trisha and I can argue about it and cease being friends forever. <laughs> is that just the end of the show? Is both of you like becoming <laughs> the end of furious everything. at each other about Hook and then recaps is done? No, it's really, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be just like the scene between uh, Billy and Gloria. It's like, I'm going to say, no, Hook is a terrible movie. And, and Trish is going to kiss me in the cheek and turn and leave and never <laughs> see me again. The thing is, Peter, is I'm really bad on rollerblades. <laughs> so this could be a problem. <laughs> 
All right. If you have thoughts about Dazed and Confused, we would love to hear them. Just record yourself on your smartphone and email the audio file to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com and do it soon because we are recording on Friday. Many thanks to Margaret and Kevin and Susie and Celeste and of course, Katrina and Nick. And of course, of course, Ron for leaving all of those great voicemails for us. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak. And our delightful theme music is composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. All right, we'll see you next week. Is there, in fact, a catchphrase from this movie that we can end with? I just want to say thank you. It's always great to do this. And your mothers <laughs> and <are> astronauts. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's fine. I really still think that in, on, out of context, your mother is an astronaut is a compliment. It seems because, right. Yes, probably. Yeah, like to come from astronaut stock. Like your mom is Sally Ride. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.